We're going to turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 as we continue to look at this great epistle by the Apostle Paul. I was writing this week about parables and talking about some parables are long, complicated stories with lots of detail and you have to work through them very carefully. Some parables came to us from Jesus as just one-liners, little quick words, almost little proverbial sayings. There's a section or a discourse or preaching section of Jesus in Matthew 13 called the discourse on the kingdom or the kingdom parables. And it's in that setting that Jesus gives us one of those little quick ones. And he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. What a fascinating little story. A long time back, I got interested in, I guess, probably studying this parable. I thought, I'll I'll find out about pearls and and how much a pearl can be worth. And I got a Mayer and Berkeley catalog, if some of you remember that, or some of you that have Atlanta roots or something. I, I was amazed at what one pearl can cost. It was astonishing. They come in different colors and all. and um, You know, you can get them pretty inexpensively some places, but you can find a pearl you can spend a lot of money on. Jesus imagines in his story uh, someone who's not misled or not understanding, but someone who really understands that world of marketing, and he sees one pearl, and he says, I'm willing to give up all the rest of it for that because of its extraordinary character and value. Imagine taking a a pearl down to the jeweler uh, here in Dublin and saying, what will you give me for this? And he looks at it very carefully and says, I'll give you the whole store if you'll give me this. Jesus gives this surprising short little proverb or parable to talk about value and what's really, really important and how you determine that. The University of Georgia, a long time ago, I was in my senior year taking a course in real estate appraisal, and Dr. Went had come there that year from UCLA. He was sort of semi-retired in his 70s, and every day he would wear a nice gray business suit to class uh, with a fancy bow tie. He was a, a, a character right out of the movies. He had us over to his house on Prince Avenue, for those of you that know Athens, and, and for cookies and punch. It's like, this is, we're in the 1800s or something. It's really, uh, really pretty neat. But what a great old gentleman he was. And the last day of class, he says, now, guys, I know you're going to forget a lot of what we've talked about in here, all the different methods of appraisal, but I want you to remember one thing. You'll never forget this. Just remember this one thing, and you'll have the gist of the entire course with one line. The worth of a thing is what it'll bring. Do you remember that? You'll know most of what you need to know. If you don't believe that, have a yard sale and put your valuable items out there on the front lawn and see what people will give you for them. The worth of a thing is what it will bring. Uh, There is a subjective element to value. You can have an objective thing where some qualifications and you put a price on something, but there's a subjective element to value where an individual says, "This this is not very valuable, this is valuable, and This is precious. This is really, really valuable. The Apostle Paul's writing, our prayer meeting group looked at the first few verses of this chapter 
Wednesday night, and I'll just scan through what they looked at. But Paul says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again is no trouble to me. It's a safeguard for you. And Paul's, everything Paul's going to say this morning is about safeguarding your heart against counterfeits and second best and third best. Beware of the dogs. Dogs are false teachers to Paul here. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. All three of those, the workers, the false circumcision, the dog, it's all the same. He's talking about the same group of people who have come uh, to the Philippians and to others with a false teaching. It's basically a, a Judaized teaching that you've got to keep the rituals and go through all the routine. And somehow if you do enough of that, you'll be okay spiritually. And so it becomes not a joyful faith, but a burdensome religion. And there's a world of difference between the two, even today. He says, for we are the true circumcision. He's talking about he as an apostle and the other apostles, those of the New Testament. Uh, we're the true circumcision of the true uh, spiritual teaching who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh or their human ability to merit God's favor. Now, that's where we left off Wednesday night. He says, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He's going to give us a little bit, a sampling of his resume. Circumcised, he says, the eighth day. That was the, the really proper way to do that. Uh, you see that with Jesus in the temple. We've seen that uh, recently in another discussion. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. Uh, so he's not just some proselyte. He's of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He even remembers his tribe. The tribe of Benjamin goes all the way back to the days when Benjamin was born to Jacob as one of the 12 sons. He's the last son to his favorite wife. And his descendants become the little tribe, the small tribe of Benjamin, uh, in the Old Testament that comes in with Joshua and settles. And when they settle, their territory covers Jericho and Jerusalem, strategic location. A Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. There were Essenes who copied manuscripts and lived down by the Dead Sea and hid themselves from the world. There were Sadducees who didn't believe anything, uh, really much of theological significance. Uh, they didn't believe in resurrection or angels or miracles or anything uh, like that. They were kind of like the guy who joins the local Baptist church because it's good for business. It was just a practical way to control the culture. But the Pharisees were those that would say, no, we, we take seriously the Bible in our lives. Now, they had some problems in how they did that, obviously, from what we see in the life of Christ. Uh, misapplication of that and, and creating burden. But he says, if you want to say that the Pharisees are the real law keepers, I was not only a Pharisee, I was a Pharisee's Pharisee. Circumcised the eighth day, nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's like a man's man, a, uh, a sports fan, sports fan. Uh, he was the real thing. He was zealous for the cause. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I just didn't oppose Christianity. I persecuted the church. And he lived with that all of his life, but victoriously. But that's part of his story. As to righteousness, which is from the law, what you can do on your own and your own strength to prove your own righteousness. He says, I was found blameless. Most Pharisees would say, 
at Paul. He's a, he's a good man. He's, he does it right. He keeps the rules. He enforces the rules. He makes sure everybody else does. He says, I had all the merit badges, my merit badge sash. I was an Eagle Scout, but my merit badges go from about here to here. And I used to go to some of these things where these guys were scouts till they were 18. And they had badges that ran over and around and back down the backside and all that. And I thought, wow, that's really, they've done absolutely everything imaginable. Paul says, I can out, whatever you want to come up with, I can outdo you if you want to talk about worldly, fleshly credentials for righteousness. And then he comes to verse 7. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. All those things, he says, have come to me to mean nothing. They're insignificant. They're trivial and even sometimes very counterproductive for my spiritual walk. I've written them off as a loss. He said earlier, I, when I was in the printing business, I, I worked in a different department each year. They were trying to teach me all the nooks and crannies of the business and what was going on. My last year, I was in the accounting office, and about once a month, Norm, the accountant, would sit down and write off the losses. You could always still come accept the money. If they finally showed up, you could still take it. But you go through this process of moving some of those accounts to another bracket because, well, you just didn't want to look at that month after month and those people that had not fulfilled their end of the deal. Uh, and uh, it was not a, a pleasant thing, but you just wanted to clean the slate and deal with the good customers and not deal with those people anymore. But Paul says, I look back on all that stuff in my life, my extreme religiosity. I did all the things. I checked all the boxes. I got all the merit badges. I did all that. He says, all that stuff I've written off now as a loss. That means nothing to me now. He says, more than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now you get back to the, the worth of a thing. What is really valuable to the heart of the Apostle Paul? He says, all that other stuff doesn't matter to me anymore. Christ is my everything, and I value him above all. Tremendous transition in his life. This persecutor of the church knocked off his horse, blinded by the, the glory of God, transformed when he didn't expect to be. He is transformed by the grace of God and becomes this zealous apostle for the cause of Christ. He says, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. That sounds very English. That's, uh, the NIV is a little more American. As I count them as garbage. It's rubbish. It's, it's all, I thought all that was so important. I had to have that stuff. I had to impress those people. All those things, Paul says, rubbish, rubbish. So that I may gain Christ. And God in his uh, infinite grace and mercy has pruned all that stuff out of my life so that Jesus might reign supreme as my Lord and I might invest my life in his cause and his purposes. It's something that really, really, really matters. He says, and I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. Uh, the Pharisees tried to derive their own righteousness by law keeping. Some folks around Christendom today, some folks in some Baptist churches today, try to derive their righteousness on the basis of what they have done uh, to impress others or to impress themselves. 
says it's not having anything to do with the righteousness derived on my own from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That was the message of Martin Luther. We were talking about Luther back in October and the Protestant Reformation and celebrating 500 years of that. That's the heart of it. That's why we have Baptist churches today. That's the heart of our theology. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the glorious gift of God, not as a result of our works. Paul says all that self-righteous stuff and all that meriting of favor, it may have impressed people that never impressed God. It was my own self-generated righteousness. And he says, now enlightened by the Holy Spirit, all that has been written off by me that I might have Christ instead in place of all that stuff. Now, you might say, well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, Paul is an interesting character. Now, this is about all of us and our lives. It has immediate application for everybody here today. Don't let something else take Jesus' place. Don't attempt to prop up your own weaknesses with your own righteousness instead of leaning on the absolute righteousness of Christ. That's our gospel. We come to him not because we're good enough, but because he is good enough and glorious enough, and he is of immeasurable worth. He is the pearl of great price. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. My old school, Nathan's old school, CIU, uh, where the Zambians went. Uh, in the chapel, I've, I've told you this a number of times, but in the chapel wall, uh, there's a globe in the middle and on both sides of the globe are the two phrases to know him and to make him known. And the first part of that comes from Philippians 3.10, at least in part that I may know him, not about him. Lots of people know about him. A lot of people know uh, incorrect information about him, to be sure. But Paul's goal is that I might know him, that I might have a relationship with him, that he might be uh, not just uh, deity, but that he might be my savior, my redeemer, my Lord, my encourager that I might know him and the full power of his resurrection. When Jesus on Easter came out of the tomb, it was uh, awesome. It was glorious, and it was powerful. It changed everything. And for the believer who trusts in Christ, it is immeasurably powerful. It says, I'm even being conformed to his death. I'm, I'm Fully in. I've cashed it all out and invested everything in Christ. Sometimes when we bury, uh, baptize, not bury, when we baptize, we talk about being buried with Christ in baptism and death and raised to walk in newness of life. Uh, and that gives immersion baptism a picture of setting aside the past uh, as a loss. That doesn't mean everything in your past is, is bad, but you're setting behind the past so that you can go forward in Christ and newness of life. That's Pauline theology. And he concludes the paragraph. He says, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead, which be careful with that. That doesn't mean if you die today, you don't go to heaven if you're a Christian. If, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But all of our experience is aimed ultimately toward the great resurrection of the dead and the final victory in Christ. 
It's a great message from Paul. I'm going to give you a quick application about five points about Paul and his experience, all of which apply to us. So here's some application. Because Paul understood the value of the pearl of great price, Jesus and his gospel, because Paul understood that, he did not glamorize and honor his past. And sometimes you hear Christian testimonies uh, that you wonder, you know, how well thought out is this? And Paul never talked about how great it was to be a Pharisee. He talks about the reality that he was, but he doesn't glamorize the past, nor did he live in the past as though at any given moment he might turn around and revert back to that. Sort of half wishing that he could retain some of that path. Paul says, no, I'm beyond that. I've moved on. And that same printing world, my first year in the printing world, I learned how to estimate a printing job before it was bid and went into production. Had my estimator's notebook that uh, John, who taught me everything I knew about printing, uh, had put into a notebook so that together we could estimate and be doing the same thing. And when I left the printing plant to go to seminary, he gave me that notebook. He says, here, keep this. This is yours. He had it all in his head. He didn't need a notebook. And he says, you might need that someday. And I thought, well, I might need that to work my way through school or who knows that this uh, ministry thing might not work out. And, you know, you got a notebook there. And I remember walking out with that notebook that day out of the printing plant. I also remember the day I threw the notebook away. I said, I'm not ever going to use this. That's a part of the past. Now, not of anything wrong with printing and estimators notebooks or anything like that. But that was the past. And Paul didn't live in the past. He said, Lord, what do you have for me from this day forward as I endeavor to serve you? He was not defeated by his past, by its guilt, but he immersed himself in the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. God forgave and removed elements from Paul's life, Saul of Tarsus' life, his legalism, his dependence on his heritage, his persecution of the church, all that. God pruned and, and purified him of those things and said, Paul, that's not going to be who you are anymore. On the other hand, God did redeem and use some of the things from the past. So Paul probably knew, except for his mentors in the Old Testament faith, probably that Paul knew more Old Testament than anybody on the planet. And maybe by the time he's writing Philippians, he is the number one Old Testament scholar on the planet. He's, you watch him quoting those scriptures as he's writing through those epistles and the appropriate use in context of Old Testament scripture. And this is like God says, well, let's take that and let's, let's immerse it in the Christian gospel and use that platform for the future. So his education is redeemed. His zeal... While some people uh, had been Christians for a long time, and just like in the 21st century, there are people that can join a church and do nothing for 80 years, 90 years, do nothing for the cause. And you see somebody come along that's uh, gloriously transformed from being a rascal to being a zealot. God did a 180 in the heart of Paul, and all that zeal and all that energy is transformed into taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, and nobody ever did that any better than the Apostle Paul. He is a missionary's missionary. God redeemed that zeal and said, now let's direct that. His multicultural background 
Uh, he knew Hebrew, he knew Greek, he knew Aramaic, he knew all kinds of things. And he had grown up in what we would call Turkey, or they would have called Asia, at Tarsus, but he also had his roots in the Holy Land, and he, he was able to communicate and relate to lots of cultures inside and outside the Jewish world. And, and God says, I'm going to redeem that multicultural background, and it's going to make you an awesome missionary. His Roman citizenship, Paul, you're still a Roman citizen. Don't renounce your Roman citizenship. We'll use that, and you see that come to life in the book of Acts. And God takes the better elements of his life and says, let's make them a part of the picture. And it was a glorious transformation. That happened in Paul's life, and he came to understand the value of the pearl of great price. He understood what Jesus was trying to say to us that day and what Matthew wrote into the text that there is something that's more valuable than all the rest of it put together. And those who are wise will allow nothing to take the place of Christ as Lord of their lives. It's a great testimony from Paul. It's a great challenge to us uh, that Jesus Christ might reign supreme in our lives, in our core values, in our attitudes, and how we treat people, what we invest our future in, that Jesus will be our all in all, and we will be zealots for the cause of Christ. Not looking back, but looking forward into the future and into eternity. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we're grateful for the glorious transformation of Saul of Tarsus. What an amazing story. We're grateful for his heart and his zeal and his reaching love that carried the gospel into Europe and ultimately it would come down to us. Father, we're grateful that you're a God of redemption. We come confessing that there are days when other things seem to be too valuable to us. And Lord, we want to just renew our, our love for you and our desire for you to be with no second or no third place, for you to be the most important, most valuable thing in our lives. We're grateful for uh, how that changes everything about us and strengthens our homes and strengthens our churches and uh, sets us on a course for that which is meaningful and purposeful and has eternal significance. Thank you for that great redemption. Lord, you are indeed valuable to us. May it be increasingly true of our testimony as it was for Paul. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.